0: Even burn.
1: On 2FM. It's another week. It's another roundup of everything that happened on the show at the weekend. And oh my God, I think this is the biggest group of shows we have ever, ever had on Saturday we talked to Jamie Lee Curtis all about Halloween Kills which is out in cinemas right now taking on the role of Laurie Strode all over again and bringing us all the way up to that finale which will be happening next year in cinemas with Halloween ends as well as that we talked to Edgar Wright all about his brand new film Last Night in Soho another horror but another just absolute and utter masterclass by what I think is one of uh, the most fun directors in Hollywood uh, at the moment all the way back to Hot Fuzz all the way back to Shaun of the Dead Absolutely adore all his work, and I think you're really going to love this. It's something completely different. As well as that, we talked to Elton John about his new record. He's number one in the charts, and we found out what we can expect from uh, the final album. And uh, yeah, about going to number one as well in that too. As well as that. We spoke to Zach Galifianakis all about Ron's Gone Wrong, which is out in cinemas right now. Uh, Brand new outing for Disney. A really, really fun animation. And we also caught up with Ed Helms too. Let's kick it off with Halloween. This (laughs) is Jamie Lee Curtis. Did you write that history in between? Did you write your kind of idea of where she'd been for all those years?
2: No, I think the closest you got to that was the uh, H2O movie. I knew, you know, it was my idea to make the H2O movie. I called John and Deborah. I said, hey, you guys, you know, the movie's gonna be 20 in two years. We should make another movie. We're all still in show business. And over the, you know, over that course of time, obviously they both fell off the movie. And it ended up being not a great movie, but it's a good movie. But I did want to talk about trauma. But what I wanted to talk about it in relation to was running from it. Fight Mm. or flight. Those are your options. You have two in a conflict. Fight it or run. That was a movie about running. That was a movie about can you outrun trauma? Can you outrun danger? And it was a movie where... The truth is if you run from it, you're never free because you're Mm -hmm. always looking over your shoulder. So the end of that movie, she turns around, she faces him and says, basically you or me, but I'm dead either, I'm kind of dead now. And if I die doing it, okay. And if I win, I will be free from you. That's what that movie was about. So that's as much input that I had into the canon of Laurie Strode was that there was a moment where she ran. Now, obviously, this movie, uh, when I read David Gordon Green's script, he had already constructed the world of her being a pinball in a pinball machine, that she banged around the world into men, into institutions, and she lost everything. She never connected with anybody. She had a child. They took the child away. She was estranged from the child, blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, completely. Um, and with this one as well, I just love the idea of what happens if the town fight backs. How does a town deal with trauma like that? And
2: Well, because, of course, there are concentric circles of mm. trauma and grief and rage, and, and not just for Sweet Lori, but for little Lindsay and Tommy and Sheriff Brackett and Nurse Marion. They also came in contact with him. They also suffered under his malevolence. And so I do think that there is a beautiful expansion of the story through the stories of those other people. And what
1: was it like having the rest of the guys back on set Well, you know, I'm
2: not in the movie with the rest of everybody except for Tommy, one scene, but I did get to see all of them on the set and Mm. there were tears every time. Because the truth is, it was a long time ago And the Mm -hmm. world has been great and very kind to all of us and has been brutal to all of us, the way the world is, the way the universe works. So we've all lost people that we both knew. And each person, there were tears of remembrance, tears of joy and sadness, and we are all survivors. We are all still here, able to do this art form that we love. So there was also some great beauty in that
1: i know that you directed on um scream queens is that something you would ever want to do in the world of horror and the, on the big yes, screen
2: i've i the truth is i'm not one of those film nerds i'm not like oh it just got to direct movies i yeah. i would like to because i'm good at it quite frankly um but it also is a job that takes up so much time and i have a, a lot of other jobs and i have a lot of other focuses i have written a horror film that I will direct for Blumhouse called Mother Nature, an eco horror film um, that I'm hoping to direct maybe next year. But the truth is, if I end up not directing it, somebody else directs it, I don't care. I'm not I'm not I'm 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 not that person. Um, I would like to. I think I will have the opportunity to. We'll see.
1: All right, moving on to the next one. We caught up with Edgar Wright to talk all about the brand new film Last Night in Soho. It takes place in modern day about uh, in a in a fashion college in London. And it's about a girl who dreams of the 60s, but also has this connection to the past through ghosts. She sees her mum, but she can also sense other energies within rooms, which leads her into falling into the 60s within her dreams, which helps her in all the fashion that she wants to create, but also leads to a darker, darker path for the people that she meets, or could you say the spirits that she meets. It is so much fun um, and very scary in many, many parts. Here's Edgar talking all about it. Congratulations on the film, Um, transported us to a completely different world. I absolutely loved it. So uh, thank you, congratulations. Um, what about the 60s excite you? What was, what was it about that era that made you guys want to dive into this and really bring it to the screen and, and celebrate it in that way as well?
3: Well I, I think it's a, a, in a way it's like the obsession is like also about you know passing out the perception and the reality. and, and I guess my obsession started mm-hmm. when I was you know very young just from my parents' record collection, which seemed to be exclusively 60s and stopped dead when my older brother was born. And I never remember my parents actually listening to the records. I guess they, by the time I was born, they'd stopped listening to them. So, in in a pre-internet, pre-TV in my bedroom age, I would just listen to these records non-stop. And and then also just from trying to sort of work out like the decade from my parents' sometimes very vague stories about it, <laughs> and then, you know, so and, and then then beyond that, I think, and this is for both of us. Then we have like spent a lot of time in soho like working Mm. and living um and you know the shadows of the past loom large and particularly of the 60s like sort of you know like 60s london um you know is is really sort of like soho was the epicenter of that and so it's something where that kind of is always like such a big part of the cultural footprint Mm. but Then the film is sort of about the dangers of romanticizing that is like sort of like you can't have the good without the bad. 100%.
1: 100%. It is that line in it that really stuck with me, which is, you know, someone's died in every single room here and someone's died pretty much on every corner. And it made me think in that way because I've stayed in plenty of hotel in, in Soho before in the past. So I don't think I'll ever have the experience of staying one ever again. Obviously, a, a big chunk of this movie is also set in an Irish pub. Why did you choose that location? Because for me, that is a place which does have so many ghosts and and, and, and so many stories to tell.
3: This is where I hand over to my my co writer, <laughs> Christy Wilson Clans.
0: Well, I, I actually worked in the token for about five ah! years, and I lived above a strip club on Dean Street, and I would basically just go <laughs> between the two, usually quite drunk. But, um, <laughs> but you no, know, the token had been such a like huge part of like my London experience, hmm. and I, it also feels like. You know, Jimi Hendrix played his first London gig in the basement there, like, like you know, in the 60s, like well before it was the token, and it feels like a place that had that history. I'd spent a lot of time downstairs at the in slowly polishing bottles of, of Irish whiskey and just being like, I wonder who else has been in here uh, and what horrible things they've seen because I, I have a very dark brain. Um, mm-hmm. So when Edgar told me the story, I thought, oh, I know I know at least one location.
1: <laughs> uh, when it comes to it as well, you know, we, we talk about the history of, of, of cinema in, in that era and the cast here and this being, you know, Diana and, and Margaret as well, um, their, their final film in that regard. What was it like working with greats like that? And were they spilling stories from that time and 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 the films that they were involved in and what it was like to be to be making movies in that period?
3: Yeah, I think the thing is, is like uh, you know, with Margaret and Diana, and then also obviously Terence Stamp and Richard yeah, Harris as well. Like, mm. all for, I mean, it was interesting that in a similar way to the film, is like is like people who were actually there, they obviously have the great stories, but then they're always kind of like tempered with. The other part of it and like yeah you know like so it was it was interesting hearing about that in their reaction to the script and um and, and you know that kind of happened a sort of a number of times and in ways that were sort of i remember like diana Rigg like specifically you know she's not in the cafe de paris scene but i happened to mention that the set we were rehearsing one day and the set was right there and she said oh i went to the cafe de paris on my 18th birthday to see shirley Bassey's first london gig i was like oh wow i said well do you want to see the set so then i had this like very magical experience of walking through an empty sound stage with dame diana rig on my arm showing her the cafe de paris set and she goes oh this is like wonderful This looks exactly like it did I tell your production designer he did an amazing job and then there's this little dot 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 and then she just says unprompted says I remember walking down those stairs and lots of roomy eyed men looking me up and down and feeling like a piece of meat. And, you know, like she's not necessarily saying that in relation to the script, but she's also mm-hmm. like summing up the entire movie.
1: Yeah. in uh, Completely. Um, and I mean, horror is one of my favorite genres. And uh, as much as I love those moments where I'm thrown into a, a situation where I feel incredibly uncomfortable, I was fully just not wanting her to go back to that room every single time because do you have kind of places within your life ever that you kind of still feel a little bit haunted by in any sense or do you feel those energies in rooms and 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 the history in rooms
3: in general i mean i definitely i mean my my mother is similar to eloise in terms of she is somebody who i would call very supernaturally switched on and in growing up like i think me and my brother had like heard stories from her just about presences either where somewhere that she works so kind of in a way like that line that you mentioned about the sort of somebody dying in every house in every (laughs) building this whole city is something that i believe like having kind of grown up with my my mother and and in a way i guess like me and my brother were sort of envious that we hadn't seen a ghost like okay it's something that as maybe as horror fans it's like i want to see one too even just like you know i take a guy in a bed sheet i'm not fussing yeah. now, but like my my mum is like very similar to eloise in terms of she is that sort of person who is like i would say very like attuned to mm. this psychic residue of of, of, a, of a room so i guess that's something that like very early on was like an inspiration for the script,
1: we also caught up with Elton John. Here he is talking all about the brand new album featuring some of the biggest artists in the world. Take a listen.
4: Yeah, an album I never ever thought I was going to make during lockdown. I had no plans to make any music at all during lockdown. Um, so this really came together as an accident. Uh, it started in March 2020, and I met Charlie Puth at a restaurant in Los Angeles. I never met him before. And he actually lived only four doors away from me in LA. And he said, look, I've got a studio if you feel like coming up while you're here and writing something. So I did. And it's the track that appears on the record, um, after all, and... That was fantastic. And the next day, I went next door to my music publisher's house, who lives three doors away from me, <laughs> and I worked on the Surfaces track um, via Zoom, the first thing I'd ever done via Zoom. They were in Texas, um, and I played piano and sung on that track. And so the first two things, really, were those two things. And I came back to England, and then Damon Albarn asked me to play on Gorillaz, Rena Sawayama asked me to do a duet and play piano on Chosen Family, I did the Metallica Miley Cyrus track with Andrew Watt. Um, I did It's a Sin with Olly Alexander and then I went and did Glen Campbell and Little Nas
1: X, and I thought I've got the germ of an album here. Ron's Gone Wrong is out in cinemas now. Huge all-star cast including Olivia Colman, Rob Delaney, Justice Smith. Jack Dylan Grazer, Zach Galifianakis, and Ed Helms. We spoke to Zach Galifian- Galifianakis and Ed Helms on the show all about the movie, what you can expect from it. Um, just great fun. It's the story of Barney, an awkward middle schooler, and Ron, his new walking, talking, digitally connected device. Ron malfunctions, and that's what happens. And, and this is about what happens next. So listen up. Uh,
0: well, we we were we we when we first started recording, everything was uh, regular. There was no mm. uh, pandemic. Then the pandemic hit, and I'm sure the producers as a lot of people uh in the storytelling business had to rework things and um i recorded uh i ended up recording some stuff in a barn Uh, (laughs) i know people have recorded in their closets and uh yeah just trying to find out how to finish the movie so and they and they did Uh,
1: when it comes to it what was your best friend back in the day was there anything that you um i guess inanimate objects or even just like toys that you had when you were younger that you literally could not be without wow um uh
5: you know my i had a a bicycle when i was a kid that i just loved it was like such a huge part of my identity riding my bike with all the other kids on my street we made like jumps and dirt ramps and dirt tracks and stuff and that was that was a big deal for me for a long time Mm. did it have a
0: name I think a I think a bike is more than any other toy. It gives you a freedom, <laughs> so, like you can go away further and faster in a bike than you can on yeah. your. Yeah,
5: and all the kids decorated so, yeah, their bike. you with know, that put bike Yeah, you put you put you make your bike your own with different kinds of whatever stickers or what. It, it just was like a big uh, a big deal in my neighborhood for sure.
1: Even though for you guys, I guess, you know, something like this, you work remotely and you're working in different places, um, coming back on a project together, is that still special? Because I'm sure even as much as it has been a while, there's still that hangover from the hangover that people see it as not only part of movie history, but also just part of their day to day. It's a movie that people go back to so much.
0: Well, we, Ed and I, Ed and I uh, did not work together on this movie, but. Mm. Uh, I'm sure we've seen each other what 20 times since we've done this mo- I mean since record. Ed and I our families are, we're friends. We've maintained yeah. a friendship uh, since since the hangover. I mean quite frankly, he won't leave me alone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's getting a little bit creepy at this. Week. I was
5: just telling someone how how our friendship predates the hangover by a few
0: years. Remember? Before Ed and I, man. not that anybody cares, but, but we were talking about it. before Ed and I got into the hangover. I thought you
1: were going to deny it there for a second. I thought you were like, no. <laughs> before
0: Ed and I were in the hangover, we, and we didn't know each other well. We knew each other from the comedy scene. We switched houses. We, oh, wow. We were, and then, From New York yeah. and
1: LA. Um, when it comes to it as well the wider cast, I mean you can't ignore names like Olivia Colman. So well,
0: Olivia Colman, she justifies somebody like me. I mean, I'm not, I'm never going to be uh, on stage. With, I'm not going to ever be on stage with Olivia Colman. You know, with Shakespeare. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I <laughs> would like to see that Macbeth.
1: I'm not lying. I would like to oh, see right. that Macbeth.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Macbeth goes to McDonald's. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah. I mean. I have to say, it's exciting for two goofballs to be in a movie with Olivia Colman. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that to me. I mean, I, I no, can't, I, I, I've I got a movie with Judy Dench. <laughs> we ha- I have, but we yeah. are not in this. We're in the scene together, but we're separated because our schedules didn't work out. We never met. But I thought, oh my God, I'm in a scene with Jude, but I'm not. She wasn't there. So, yeah. You
1: are, though. And and, she's, (laughs) by the way,
5: um, all my scenes are with Olivia. I didn't get to record with her, but hearing, seeing it all pieced together at the end and the huge choices that she made with this hilarious character, uh, it does feel really special to be a part of it with her.
1: Absolutely. And I know exactly what you're talking about, Tulip Fever. So I'm right there. Oh,
0: God, you're right. That's right. God, you saw that? Yeah. Okay, next subject. That
1: was in Judy, <laughs>
5: Dench's, that was uh, in Judy Dench's contract. She would refuse to be on, on the same <laughs> set. <as> <laughs>
1: <it>. <laughs> An absolute pleasure, guys, as always. Uh, you thank are you. absolutely superstars, and I think people are really going to love this, and I think it's the sort of movie that's going to bring people back into cinemas as, fa- as family. So thank you so much for having a Thanks, chat with Nathan. us. Thank Very you. much appreciated. Cheers, Thanks. thank you.
0: Stephen Byrne. 2 F-